A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to a leadership conference at a church, and the speakers for this conference all had really impressive resumes. I mean, they were best-selling authors, and there were CEOs of billion-dollar companies, and there was even an NBA team owner, all speaking to those of us who are attending the conference on leadership principles, how to best lead other people. And we were having a great time, and then we found out that there was a guest speaker coming, someone not in the original lineup of the conference. And they told us that the person coming to speak was the, at the time of the conference, sitting president of the United States. Now, we were already pretty impressed with what we'd experienced so far, but this brought things to a whole new level. I mean, we had to all exit the room that the main session was going to be in, and so uh, the Secret Service could come in and secure the room. They brought in bomb-sniffing dogs. They set up a bulletproof screen in front of where the president was going to speak, and then we had to come back in to the room through metal detectors, and they had to wand us like at the airport. And uh, I'll tell you, this, having this particular president uh, at, at speak on leadership at this particular time of his presidency, especially at a church, it was a big deal, and it caused some controversy. But I remember sitting very clearly in the, about the 12th row back, right dead center, and regardless of what you thought of him, or regardless of if you even voted for him, when the host in the room said, Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And he walked in the room. Everyone automatically rose to their feet. I mean, his presence in the room, it changed the atmosphere. There was a change that you could feel, that you could see. It was electric in the room. We rose and we applauded and we just sat in awe listening to this man speak. Friends, we gather to worship every week. And we don't gather to worship a CEO or a billionaire or a best-selling author or even the leader of a nation. No, we gather to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We gather to worship the creator and sustainer of the universe. And so there should be a response from us that is seen and that is felt that changes us and honors him. I'm just incredibly grateful to be back here uh, this weekend with you all in a newly renovated room. I mean, this looks awesome. I haven't been here since it was done. It looks great. And I'm especially excited to come back and to talk about worship because for 20 years in the local church, this is what I did. I led worship teams and worship services for well over 20 years. Now, as Craig mentioned, I have a new role at the Creek. I'm overseeing our adult discipleship department, but I will always have a passion for worship in the church. And this series that you're in, this idea of breathing uh, fresh uh, thoughts and ideas into an old faith, it's so important for us because if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know that things can fall into a routine. You know that you can kind of get in a rut and things can lose its meaning. And so it's good to breathe some freshness into things. But we also have to acknowledge something, that there are some in the room who your faith hasn't been old enough to get old. (laughs) 
you're, you're still learning about what it means to trust God and to worship him. And so my prayer for you is as we get into God's word together, as we understand some reasons why and how we worship, that you would be invited in to worship God in a way you've never experienced before. That you would get a glimpse of just how much God loves you. And you would be drawn into worship as a result. So we're going to look at what the Bible says. Because the Bible is going to be our guide as it always is. And where the Bible speaks, we will speak. And so what does the Bible have to say about worship? Well, interestingly, the first time the word worship is mentioned in Scripture is all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 22, but we're going to turn instead to Exodus chapter 15 because it's the first ever recorded worship song in the Bible. And we're going to read just a few verses from this song and see what we might learn about why we worship. So if you want to turn to Exodus 15, that's where we're going to be this morning. All the rest of the scripture that I'm going to read is going to be up on the screen, but let's just read together through Exodus the first three verses of Exodus 15. And while you're turning there, let me set the context for what's happened right up to this point. Israel had just seen God do something pretty remarkable. Scholars tell us as many as one million people fled Egypt after being freed from slavery after 400 years. And Pharaoh let them go But Pharaoh kind of had some second thoughts about letting all this free labor leave the country. And so he decides to gather all of his chariots and all of his soldiers, and they're going to chase down the Israelites. And he catches up to them right on the edge of the Red Sea, or more likely the northern tip of the Red Sea called the Gulf of Suez. And there God parted the water so that the nation of Israel could march across the Red Sea. And as Pharaoh and his armies were coming after the Israelites through the sea, God caused the parted waters to come back together and destroy the army, and Israel was saved. Now, just as a side note, last year there was an article that was printed around November that said that archaeologists found remains of what they believe is Pharaoh's army in this part of the Red Sea. Chariots in the middle of the sea and shields and swords. How in the world would they get at the bottom of the Red Sea if it were not for Pharaoh's army being the source? And so just a really cool article. Once again, science is proving the Bible to be accurate and trustworthy, and that's just something really cool to note. But let's read these first three verses and understand a little bit more about worship. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And this morning, we're going to look at two aspects of worship. Why we worship and how we worship. And these first three verses, they help us understand the why. Why in the world would Israel, after they just crossed the Red Sea, pause and, and sing this song to God. Well, they wanted to worship God simply because he deserves praise. If you had never experienced a, a worship service or any kind of religious practice, 
You might walk into a room like this and look around and hear, you know, the band play and people stand and sing and go, why in the world are they singing? I mean, what's the point of that? And the answer is pretty simple. Because God deserves our worship and praise. He alone is worthy of our worship. Look at the opening line of that song. They started the song by declaring, I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he is highly exalted. They made the decision to stop and worship God simply because of who God is. Now, Edgar Mitchell was an astronaut on the Apollo 11, excuse me, the Apollo 14 mission. And he was the sixth man to walk on the moon. And he said this right after he got back from his flight in space. He said, my view of our planet was a glimpse of divinity. You see, Edgar Mitchell saw creation and knew that God was worthy to be praised. And, and the, Bible, the Bible teaches us that God is all-powerful, that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, that he spoke a word and stars and planets and galaxies were formed, that he created mountains and sky and land and animals, that he gathered some dust together on the ground and he breathed life into it and man was created. And then from that man, he took a rib from Adam's side and from that rib, he made woman. God is all powerful. But the Bible also teaches that God is omniscient. He is all knowing. He, he, he knows everything. And the Bible tells us that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, that God actually transcends time. Friends, this alone is enough reason for us to worship God. He's big, he's powerful, and he knows all. He deserves our worship for he alone is highly exalted. So just like the Israelites, we should sing to God simply because of who God is. But their song continued. Look again at the rest of verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The second half of that verse teaches us that they wanted to worship God for what he had done. They had just seen God do something pretty remarkable. I mean, in Exodus 14 tells us that Israel marched across the sea on dry ground. I mean, think about that for a second. The waters parted, and naturally, the bottom of that seabed would be yucky, muddy, heavy silt. There's no way they could have marched across. They would have gotten stuck in the mud. <laughs> but the Bible tells us they walked across on dry ground. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And it says that there was a wall of water on either side of them, that God had parted this sea and that there was a huge wall of water as they walked through it. I, I wish I could have seen that. That would have been awesome. And on top of that, God destroyed their enemies after they marched across. You would think that if you experienced something like that, you would never ever forget that. But here's the crazy thing. Just a few books later in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, 
That book was written specifically so that Israel would not forget that specific event in their lives. 16 times in Deuteronomy, they are commanded, do not forget what God just did. You must remember. They're, time, they're told time and time again, remember what just happened. Remember this miracle. Remember how God freed you, how he led you, how he saved you. You've got to remember this. So what does Moses do? He teaches them a song to help them remember. He teaches them a song so they wouldn't forget. And we use songs like this too, don't we? We teach kids the alphabet by singing the ABCs. Let's see if you can remember the rest of this song. Kids learn their body parts. They learn head and shoulders. See, look at that. It works. You remembered. Kids learn the state capitals by singing. Don't do it now, please, but at some point, just for fun, get on, get on the web, uh, website and just Google it. Google uh, songs that teach stuff. And there's a whole list of songs that teach some crazy stuff for us to remember. I don't know about you, but, but I need that. We all need that, I think. Because in the busyness of life, and the stress and the worry and the tasks and responsibilities. I mean, if we're honest, it's really easy for us to forget that which is most important. And church, that's why we sing songs. We sing songs because God's worthy of our worship. And we can't forget what he's done. And worship reminds us of who God is and what he's done. Earlier I mentioned that the book of Deuteronomy was written so that Israel wouldn't forget what God did. Well, if you know the rest of the story in the Old Testament, Israel did forget what God did. And we're told in Judges chapter 8, verse 34, that the reason that they turned away from God is that they did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. And I can't help but wonder if the reason why they continually turned away from God for the rest of the Old Testament is because they forgot to sing this song. That they forgot what God had done. Friends, we need to regularly gather as a body of believers and remember what God has done by singing to God. And here's one of the main reasons why. Because just like Israel, if we remember God's faithfulness in our past, it helps us be faithful in the present regardless of what we're going through. And it helps us to walk with confidence into an unknown future with God, knowing that he's going to be with us. And just like the Israelites, as we sing songs and worship, it helps us remember that God is worthy and all that the, he has done for us. But look at the next line of the song, Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. We learn in this verse that they worshiped God to declare their response and see a glimpse of themselves in God's story. The words I and my are used 
seven times in this one verse. And so you'd think it'd be important for them to remember and see how God's story connected with their story. It was important somehow for Israel to see that as a nation and individually, that God is our strength and my strength. That he's our salvation and my salvation. That he's our defense and my defense. There's great power in connecting ourselves to God's story. But friends, listen, there's a huge danger in that as well. Look at the next verse, verse 3. It simply says this, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name, which itself is not super revealing about worship other than the fact that it quickly directs the rest of the song back to God. And that's the danger in worship. That the focus might shift from gathering to worship God because he deserves praise and seeing a glimpse of ourselves in his story to worship being all about us. This first song in scripture, it's not prescriptive of how all other worship songs should be, but I do think it's worth noting that out of 18 verses of a song of worship, only one verse is primarily focused on me or I, and the rest of the song focuses right back to God. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to travel to India, central India, to help teach about 300 pastors and elders about church leadership. And while we were there, before the times of teaching, uh, people were gathered from all over the, the country, and they traveled, some of them by 18 hours by train, just to get to this teaching. And while we were there, we heard uh, just unbelievable stories from them about the persecution that they're facing because of their faith. I mean, we have it easy uh, in this country based compared to what they have. I mean, they're... they're people and their families being raped and killed and kidnapped simply because they're trying to have a Bible study in their home. Unbelievable stories. And so when we gathered before times of teaching, there, uh, there was some worship. Now, I don't speak Hindi. <laughs> I don't know the language. I've learned a few phrases now that I've been there, but I don't speak the language. And so every time there was singing going on, I'd lean over to my interpreter uh, sitting next to me and I'd go, what are they saying now? And he'd tell me, what are they saying now? And so he probably drove drove him crazy because I was just trying to figure out what they were saying. And without exception, every single song was giving praise to God because he is worthy and remembering what God had done. Not a single song that they sang was primarily focused on me or I. And that's been true of other cultures I've had the privilege to visit as well. It's only in Western cultures that believers get bogged down into what I'll call self-focused worship services. If you've ever found yourself after a worship service, walking out the door and saying to a a family uh, member or a friend, you know, I really didn't get a lot out of that. I really didn't get a lot out of that service. Then you probably walked in thinking this was about you. When it's not. Worship 
if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. Worship is not about you. Worship is about God. We should feel encouraged when we gather. We should feel challenged. We should get on fire for God. We should leave these doors ready to go reach those who do not know Jesus with the love and grace of Jesus. But any time the focus of our time together becomes about us, then we judge the singing and we judge the message and we judge the programming. We judge the atmosphere of the room. We judge the temperature. We judge everything about how it makes us feel, not did it really honor God. Well, I didn't like that first song. It was too slow. Well, I wish that preacher was better talked less. Well, we ran 10 minutes over, and now I got to wait an extra 10 minutes to get a table at the restaurant. Right? And there's some laughter, and there's some, ouch. Because we walk in, and we think it's about us. And it's not. And yet we live in a culture where we don't put our time and energy and effort into anything that doesn't have a benefit to us. So we carry that into the church and we walk in and we go, all right, God, what do you got for me? I'm here. Hit me with something. Or, all right, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to do my duty and God's going to have to, God's going to bless me now because I'm walking into the church. I'm going to give my money, so here we go, bless me. I mean, we laugh, but isn't that how we sometimes approach God? And the reality is, worship is not about you. It's about God. And again, I've been doing worship ministry for 20 years. I still lead at the creek. Uh, I led last weekend. I'll lead this coming weekend. Um, I, I, we're, we're just in the season of a whole bunch of different worship leaders, and I get to be one of them, and I love it. I enjoy it. But I've heard every single complaint you can possibly imagine in 20 years of worship ministry. I've had people leave the church because it was February and we were shaking hands and they didn't want to get sick. I can't believe, you, you laugh. But I mean, like, I'm, we, I, have a, I have a card in my file that I kept that they put in the offering plate. Be very careful what you write on the card, by the way. Your preacher's going to keep them. Um, I have a card in my file that says, um, It's February, people are dying of the flu, and we're still shaking hands. We'll be back when flu season's over. We're too friendly. All right? Now, I've heard every complaint possible, and the, the, the reality is most of, of those complaints that I've heard, most of the complaints that your leaders hear, hear they're primarily self-focused and preference-based. And this is not about you. This is about God. That's not why Israel sang this song. Israel sang this song to praise God, remembering what he has done, and declaring their response to God, seeing just a glimpse of themselves in God's story. So maybe the next time you drive to church, Maybe you should lean over to someone you're driving with or say to yourself these words. This is not about me. This is about him. And I wonder 
if you walk into the room a little differently. If you walk into the room getting ready to praise God for all that he is and all that he has done. And you become maybe a little less judgmental about everything. (laughs) And you're here just to praise God. And I don't know if you noticed this or not in this in the song it's so brilliantly written by Moses that Moses was able to look and to celebrate a God in the present. We will worship you for who you are. And they celebrated a God and what he had done in the past. And by declaring what they will do in the future, they said, God, we will continue to praise you. You are a God who is and who was and who will be. And our faithfulness to you will be steadfast as long as we keep singing. If we stop singing, we're going to forget all that you've done. This is why Israel worshiped God. It helps us to get a foundation of why we should worship God. But then there's the question of how. How should we worship God? Is there a biblical attitude or posture or expression of worship? Is God honored by one style over another? Well, just a few chapters earlier from Exodus 15, we see in Exodus 3, God have this really cool encounter with Moses where he speaks to Moses from a bush that is burning but is not consumed. And God says to Moses, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is considered holy ground. And so one of the approaches, one of the postures to God in worship certainly is one of reverence to God, just an awe and wonder because the place we stand is holy. In fact, back in the Old Testament, before, uh, before Jesus came, God had asked Israel to build this temple that he would come and dwell inside the temple in one room of this temple. That's where the presence of God was. And so once a year, the high priest representing the people would go into this one room to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And he would go into this room and he would wear this robe that had these bells sewn into the hem of the robe and a rope tied around his ankle. And they're like, why in the world would he do that? They did that so that if the person in the room fell dead in the presence of God, that God's presence struck him dead, they would hear the bells stop ringing and they could pull him out of the room by the rope. That's true. And we don't approach God in worship that way. But maybe we should. That he's awesome and powerful and we are not. And that his presence would just invite this sense of awe into our lives. It's interesting to me that Jesus came and he was the once and for all sacrifice for sins. So we don't need to have someone offer sacrifices for us every year. And the, you guys talked about last week this idea that in Acts chapter 2, 38, the Bible says, to repent and be baptized in response to God's call. And when you do that, you receive two gifts, forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence actually dwells inside of us, not in a building, but in those who believe. And just because things have changed on where God's presence is, the call for reverence probably hasn't changed because God hasn't changed. 
And so there's an approach of reverence that is probably appropriate to God in worship. But another approach is found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. As King David brought the ark of the Lord containing the Ten Commandments back into the city, we read these words. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. Now, <laughs> I, I've led worship for 20 years. I have no idea what those instruments are, all right? But here's what I do know. David turned to the band. He said, turn up the music, and they had a party. We know that for certain because they celebrated with all their might before the Lord. And so celebration, to celebrate, is one of the responses to God in worship. Loud music, dancing, joy-filled, and excitement. I I love sports. I'm a sports fan. And I love watching professional athletes and their fans when a championship is won. I mean, to me, it's one of, the, one of the joys of watching grown men run around on the field like little kids, throwing baseball gloves in the air, flinging helmets across the field, jumping on top of each other, and the fans go even crazier. Fans are nuts. Now, I, I, I have to confess uh, I, I, I grew up in New York, so I have some New York-affiliated sports teams. Gosh, again. Man, this is two for two. I got booed in both services. Man, that hurts. I care about you guys. You're booing me. So I grew up in Long Island, New York. I can't help where I grew up. My dad took me to my first baseball game in Yankee Stadium when I was four or five years old. I can't help that. I can't help who I cho- choose to root for. And so I'm a lifelong Yankee fan. But uh, we, we've won 27 world championships, okay? And we're 10 years from our last championship, and we're starting to feel the itch, you know, because we're just used to winning. But Cubs fans... Cubs fans had to wait 108 years to win a championship, okay? And uh, it, was, it was great. And they, in 2016, they finally won. Watch this video. I love that. If that doesn't get your heart racing for some cool stuff, I don't know what does. I especially love the old guys, right? (laughs) Just giving it everything they have. Just people just going nuts, right? And, And just jumping around and celebrating and sharing the moment. It was a baseball game. It was a game. 
don't you think that Christians have the biggest reason to celebrate? I mean, if anyone should corner the market on knowing how to party, shouldn't it be us? And yet, the music is going, we walk in the church, everything's ready to go, there's excitement, and we stay. I didn't get my favorite seat. (laughs) This song's too loud. Are we almost done? Right? This is what we do. No joy. No excitement. No understanding of what God, have we forgotten? That Jesus came. He, he forgave us of our sins. And he gave us the promise of eternal life. And we come to God with, oh, well, I'm here again. I hope I get something out of it. Hope he doesn't speak too long. And there's no joy. There should be some celebration in what we do. And listen, I want to make a couple observations real quick. First of all, I recognize that there are some in the room that have not fallen in love yet with Jesus. Okay? I recognize that we can't expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus. Okay? And so if you've yet to surrender your life to God, if you've yet to understand the depths of his love for you, then of course you're not going to worship him. I will say that to the extent that you understand and walk in God's love, your worship will show it. But if you have not yet to make that decision, then I, I just simply hope that you understand how much God did to bring you back to him. And it would invite you into a deeper level of worship. And I also want to understand and point out the fact that there are some in the room who right now you're going through an unbelievably challenging season. You're just in this where you're barely hanging on to faith. And so it's okay, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, to come to God in your brokenness, in your sadness. But on average... (laughs) Average, normal, everyday life, celebration has to be one of the ways that we approach God. In fact, David was dancing before the Lord, Scripture tells us. And his wife, looking out the window, kind of got mad at him and said, how can you embarrass yourself like this? And David's response was, look, I could become even more undignified than this because I love Jesus, because I love God. And in fact... David wasn't punished for celebrating and dancing, but we're told in Scripture that his wife, from that conversation forward, was barren and without kids. So it's okay to celebrate and worship God. But as I just mentioned, it's also appropriate to come to God in sadness. Songs of lament and songs of grief fill the Old Testament. 
All through the Psalms, you see songs crying out to God for help, surrendering to God, whatever the circumstances are, and grateful that God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Sadness is an appropriate way to come and worship God. But Isaiah chapter 6 gives us another uh, option of coming to God where He's standing in in this vision of God and he sees these angels and the train of God's robe fills the temple in his vision and he hears the voice of God saying to a general call, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah raises his hand and said, I'll go. Here I am, send me. He surrenders to God's call in worship. And so surrender might be an expression of worship. There are so many expressions and postures of worship in the Bible. Bowing down in reverence to God. Hands raised in victory. You know, you know why? I'll tell you just why I raise my hands at times. Sometimes I raise them in victory in worship. And sometimes I raise them because I want to be close to God. I remember very vividly, my son was two years old. And I was mowing the lawn in the front of our house, and I was doing like these up and down lines towards the house and away from the house. And he was in the front window watching me mow the lawn. And every time I turned to come to the house, his arms went up. Right? I mean, that's what kids do. Daddy, hold me. So sometimes my arms go up in victory that I'm declaring this is who God is and what he's done. And sometimes my arms go up because I want dad to be close. I want this to be real. And sometimes I, I worship and I, and I sing songs with not doubt of God, but needing stronger faith. And so I sing and ask God that this would be even more true in my mind about him. So hands raised in worship, celebrating God. And sometimes we have stillness before God, where we're quiet and we listen. It's okay sometimes to not sing. It's okay, it's okay to sing out and make a joyful noise to the Lord. And some of us, that's what we do when we sing. It's a joyful noise, right? So the louder, sometimes we get into these, these things about why music is, is loud in church. Sometimes it's loud because we don't want people to hear us sing. I mean, if we're honest, the, the louder the music, the more I can sing out. You don't have to hear my, my voice right? And so we, sometimes we sing out and sometimes it's okay to just be still and listen for the voice of God. There's excitement and there's surrender and there's celebrating and then there's coming to God with a broken heart. And the point is this, there is no one way to appropriately worship God. Jesus was talking with a woman by a well uh, in Samaria and they were in this kind of discussion he was trying to get to the core of who she was and she was kind of pushing him off and trying to throw up some theological questions to him for him to answer and we read in john chapter 4 these words from jesus a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of the of worshipers the father seeks god is spirit And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And that's the takeaway for us this morning. That God wants us to be genuine in our worship. 
However we approach God, if it's led by the Spirit and done truthfully, it's acceptable to God. So my question for you is, where do you need to grow in your approach to worship? Maybe you need to confess your selfishness in worship. That there have been too many times you've made this about you and not about God. So maybe your posture for these next few moments needs to be a posture of repentance before God. Maybe you need to ask God to open your eyes to see the amazing things that he has done. And one of the reasons maybe why you haven't worshipped God the way that he deserves is because you have not seen or that you refuse to see all the things that he's done for you. So maybe your posture needs to be one of seeking God in this fresh way you've been talking about. Maybe you've wandered away from God and you feel convicted by your sin, and so your posture needs to be a posture of sadness over your sin, but also hope and trust that Jesus died for you to bring you back to God. Maybe you've come to God way too casually lately. And so your posture needs to be one of reverence and awe that he truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator and sustainer of the universe. And then there are those, and I think this is quite a bit of us, that we've created for ourselves this little box of how we're going to worship based on what either we've been taught growing up or what we're comfortable with or what we think is appropriate. And we need to get out of that box and open up our eyes to the possibility that God has all kinds of ways for us to express ourselves to him in worship. As long as it's done in the spirit and truthfully, it's acceptable to God. However you need to come, God invites us. His presence is here. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me. and We're going to pray and prepare ourselves to praise God because God alone is highly exalted. Let me pray for us. Father God, we just come to you with gratitude in our hearts that you love us, that you're patient with us while we learn. God, we come to you with convicted hearts because we, we know that there are times that we've made this time together about us and not about you. So God, I pray that you would be the object and attention of our words and our affection right now. And God, you alone are highly exalted. You alone have done great things. God, we are not worthy of worship. You are. We are not worthy of the attention right now. You are. And so God, I pray that we would block out anything from these next few moments that is about us and let this be all about you, thanking you for who you are and for what you've done. God, we love you and we're so grateful that the creator and sustainer of the universe would make a way for us to be in relationship with you and that you would want that. God, teach us to trust you. Teach us how much you love us that we might respond to you in worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.